Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. My name is Lara Friedman. I'm the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is November 3rd, 2021. And I am delighted and honored to have with us today my friend and colleague, Michael Svard. Michael is probably well known to a lot of people tuning in. He is Israel's preeminent human rights attorney. He is the voice that many of us turn to to understand what is happening and also as a lighthouse um, to understand what rocks lie ahead. Um, so Michael, welcome to, uh, to Occupy Thoughts today. Thank you for making time for us. We- Thank you, Lara, you're too kind. So we asked Michael, or I asked Michael to come on the show today to talk about the situation with Israel's declaration a little over a week ago of six of the most preeminent or prominent um, Palestinian human rights groups um, to be terror groups. Um, We've been doing a series of conversations on this. You can listen to the the podcast or watch the videos on our website, www.fmep.org. Um, I, I really wanted to get Michael here to give us sort of the most authoritative look of it, look at what's going on and, um, and insights on how we should understand what stakes are and what can happen now. So let's just dig right into this. Michael, um, so on the what happened question, I mean, for a lot of people, there's been a lot of talk about this. I wanna go into some background. A lot of, for a lot of people, this seems like it just came out of the blue, right? There's nothing, and then suddenly Israel must have evidence showed up, and they're designating these six groups as terror organizations. So, is that true? I mean, is it new? Is it out of the blue? Um, And and assuming if the answer is no, then then talk or yes, talk to us about the timing and and the targeting of these specific organizations. So yeah, I mean, one of the one of the problems these organizations and those who support them face now is that people think. It didn't came out of the blue. It came suddenly. Probably something came up now, and um, there was no other way. Well, the truth is that it didn't start now, and it did not come out of the blue. These organizations uh, were targeted for the last four years, at least, if not more, by the Israeli government, by the different Israeli governments. And uh, targeting them began even before that by Israeli uh, radical right-wing um, organizations uh, like NGO Monitor. Um, And in order to fully understand what happened and why it happened, one needs to go back really to 2018, 2019, and go out of the Ministry of Defense and into the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, headed then by um, Gilad Ardan, now the Israeli ambassador to the UN. And basically what Gilad Ardan and his staff did in the Ministry of Strategic Affairs was to uh, take, uh, suck into their databases, uh, the different reports of Israeli right-wing organizations and take their policy papers and transform them into official government policy. And so what happened was that they have designed this new category, not of terror organizations, but delegitimization organizations. And uh, in order to fit the category of delegitimization, uh, one did not have to um, uh, engage in terror activity, but rather with political activity that uh, in the eyes of the Israeli government uh, was um, um, harmful to the Israeli interest, to the Israeli policy. 
Now, these organizations and, 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 and those of you who never heard the name Al-Haq or DCI Palestine or Adamir, you should know these are very old, uh, 40 years, 30-year-old um, human rights organizations, very professional, known around the world, member, members in all the uh, umbrella organizations of uh, human rights organizations have, uh, you know, some of them have official status in the UN. Um, they, are, they have very good reputation and the entire civil so international civil society rests on their reports and their work. And there's a lot of collaboration between international and Israeli human rights organizations and them. Now, these organizations have been targeted by the uh, Ministry of Strategic Affairs because of mainly two of their uh, uh, um, uh, work, the political uh, activities. One is BDS, promoting BDS, and the other is ICC, promoting international criminal court investigations into alleged crimes committed by Israelis. Now, you can like it, you can dislike it, but this is a political act that even in, even in Israel today is not illegal. It is not illegal in Israel to promote BDS. It is not illegal, it's not an offense in Israel today to, uh, um, to promote uh, ICC investigations. So this is purely political. And so once they were identified as major actors in, these arena, in this arena, um, the strategy that was adopted in order to combat or uh, target these organizations was um, to dry out their funds, to convince the donating countries, the, the donor governments, um, to stop funding, to stop providing uh, resources to these organizations, knowing that these organizations um, are funded only, almost exclusively, by Western governments, not by uh, any, you know, um, dubious um, Gulf uh, uh, um, uh, foundations or 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 uh, governments, and so. Um, Drying out their, their or shutting down the, the uh, um, flow of resources from mainly Western European countries and the EU uh, was the method chosen and the, and the means to uh, get the uh, uh, European consent for such an act was to uh, defame these organizations as having links to the PFLP, to the uh, Palestinian uh, to the Palestinian People's uh, Front for Liberation of Palestine. And, um, and of course, they did not have evidence that would, uh, that would make uh, a charge like that, but they had all kinds of pieces of guilt by association type of uh, facts. This guy uh, in 40 years ago was a PFLP member and he sat in Israeli prison for six months. The other guy, his father was a PFLP uh, inmate and so on and so forth, creating a puzzle of different uh, guilt by association charges. So that was already in the beginning of 2019, the, the, the uh, uh, Ministry of Strategic Affairs published a report called Terrorists in Suits, which made these allegations, but basically was then used the, the language of hes a hesitant language saying, Probably it looks like there's evidence that and so on. The European governments did not buy into this. They looked at the reports 
they had um, delegations from the Israeli uh, MFA, Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs, um, asking them to stop funding. And they have uh, made it clear that this is not enough. The, uh, uh, they know the work of these organizations. The evidence that Israel has presented is definitely not enough. And so they will continue to fund these organizations because this is their, their calling as European countries uh, post-Second World War commitment to human rights and democratization. The, the timeline shows that the second wave of such Israeli advocacy to end uh, um, uh, funding for these organizations was in May of 2021, uh, after the um, arrest of several employees of a seventh organization, not one of those six, called uh, um, the Health Workers Committee. Um, so two uh, accountants from that seventh organization uh, were laid off by the organization on charges that they stole money. They were then arrested by the Israeli Shabbat, the Israeli um, Secret Service, and interrogated for many weeks. They have said in their interrogations that they, um, that they have diverted funds from that seventh organization to the PFLP. They have also said, when asked, which other organizations in Ramallah are considered, are known to be PFLP, uh, part of the PFLP uh, uh, community, they mentioned those six organizations, among others. They have never worked in any of these organizations. They had not presented any evidence about these organizations being part of the PFLP. And by the way, what does it mean to be part of any political uh, uh, party? All Palestinian political parties, including the Fatah and the, and the PLO, which Israel has signed agreements with, are still considered terrorist organizations under Israeli law. So in any event, with that new astonishing evidence, the Israeli government, again, the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs went to the European governments and again asked them, demanded that they stop funding these organizations. And again, the European countries, the European government said, no, this is nothing. You have nothing here. Some governments even said, you know what? We will, we will, uh, go, we will embark on a thorough um, um, examination of the accounts of, of, of the organizations that we donate to. And indeed, they've done that. And recently, they came back to the Israeli government saying, we found nothing. Not a single cent of our money was diverted to any uh, goal that is not purely the human rights work that they do. So that was a complete failure of the Israeli advocacy to stop funding. And then came the, the designations. So that's, that's the, you know, in order to understand what we see over ground, we see the fruits of the designation, we see the tree that is the designation. But in order for that to grow, you have all these roots, all this history that shows the motivation behind the designations. And the designation, after the failure of a consensual, of convincing the, 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 the European government to stop funding, the designations makes it possible for the government of Israel unilaterally to block all transfers to Ramallah. So this is what the Israeli government has done. Uh, and the reason that is exposed from this history is the political work that is done by these organizations and the, and the, and the 
uh, reference to, ter to terror and to links to a terror organization is only a cover-up. It's only a front to the real reason. So let me follow up. I think one of the questions, again, I'm trying to play a little devil's advocate. I think one question some people are asking is fine. Michael Spard, you know this issue well. You're, you're a prominent lawyer. You're a serious guy. How is it that you feel so comfortable defending these groups now when the Israelis claim there's new evidence that came up since this last round of going to the Europeans with evidence the Europeans said was nothing? How is it you're so confident there isn't something new that, that, that would justify not merely arresting people, which they haven't done, but literally you know, shutting down these organizations entirely? I have a hundred reasons. I'll mention three. First of all, I know them. I don't know all six uh, the same way. I know three of them very well. I know DCI Palestine, I know Adamir, and I know Al-Haq, which I'm representing now. By the way, a fair disclosure, I have been asked by Al-Haq to represent them. This podcast, I am on my personal capacity. I'm not speaking on behalf of Al-Haq, but I have agreed to represent them. So I know them well. I know their work. I know they are serious, professional, independent human rights organizations. That's one. And, and, and so I, I don't believe that there is anything uh, in the allegations that they have uh, been promoting uh, things that are the opposite of human rights, terrorism. Second, the Israeli government would know, would not disclose its evidence. And for me, it's a major um, proof that they understand that if they disclose the evidence that they have, the, the, the complete evidence that they have uh, against these organizations, it will all collapse. Everybody will see that they are actually naked. Um, when, when, a, when a government is doing something like that, which is probably one of the most um, authoritarian acts a government can do, outlaw human rights organizations, civil society organizations, which are the backbone of, of, of the Palestinian uh, um, cry for democratization, for human rights. By the way, whoever did it is ready to, to delay probably a generation or more any chance that the Palestinian society will be a democratic and human rights respecting society. That's what they, they are doing. I don't know if that's what they want, but that's what will happen because if there is, because these organizations are the ones who bring into Palestine the cry for uh, freedom of speech, uh, the tolerance to dissenting voices, uh, the, the struggle against you know, using uh, uh, torture in, in, in investigations. They have been critical of the PA government, not less than they, were of, uh, uh, they are of the Israeli government. So that's the second thing, that the fact that the, that the government conceals its evidence, would not show it to the public, would not even show it to the representatives of the public, to journalists. They can show it to journalists and the journalists will abide to the law that says that they, do not, they cannot disclose it, but they will come back to the, to the public and say, well, what we saw is or isn't convincing. They wouldn't do it. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is as follows. You know what, let's, let, for the sake of argument, let's assume that they show me the golden evidence. Yes, someone in one of the organizations or in all six have been, was involved 
in 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 a in an act of terrorism, pure act of terrorism, and someone else diverted money to ter terrorist organizations. What do you do then? Do you outlaw the whole organization with all its employees? Do you do you turn away hundreds of thousands of beneficiaries that throughout the years have been have been provided service by these organizations? Let's say that the American government finds out that a certain hospital, its executive director is a terrorist, and someone else on the board has been diverting money to ISIS. Will the American government outlaw the hospital, ruin the hospital, or will it, in a, in a very focused manner, surgically deal with those people on the board of that hospital that, that did something wrong? No one, no one, even the government, even the Minister of Defense, even the Shabak, the, the Israeli Secret Service, no one argues that these organizations have been are artificial, have been established as a front, that they don't really do any work, uh, human rights work. No one argues that. They argue something else. They said, yes, they have been for the 40 years civil, real civil society organization. They have genuine activity, but they were infiltrated with some elements and so on and so forth. Well, in that case, you cannot outlaw the, the whole organization. You have to deal with the people that you think or the acts that you think are illegal. And the fact that this is not the way chosen shows that what is a matter of concern for the government is not the elements that were infiltrated allegedly to these organizations, but the fact that the organizations exist and we get back to the political work they do. This is the only motivation that makes sense. That's a very compelling answer. I will say I did a, I did a podcast last week with Zahul Kutab about the Mohammed Halabi case. This is the, the employee of World Vision. And I was struck when someone said to me, well, you know, obviously, you know, there's people doing terrible things and, and you know, why aren't they arresting them? And I thought of the Mohammed Halabi case where they've got a guy that they arrested and in big, you know, loud noise about we've caught someone, we have, you know, absolute rock solid evidence of terror. And five years later, World Vision investigated, Australian government investigated, and five years later, he's still in jail and, and even the Jerusalem Post is essentially arguing you're holding an innocent man because you don't want to admit that you don't have a case. Um, it, it is quite striking to, to go about it this way. I want to shift gears and ask you about the role of confessions. Um, from what you said earlier, and certainly from the, the gossip that a lot of us are picking up about what was presented to the Europeans previously and what is almost certainly being presented to the Americans now, most, if not almost all of the, the evidence that is being presented to back up these cases is based on the confessions of a few people, um, confessions made under interrogation by Israel security services. I'm not a lawyer, you are. My understanding of the law is that in, in a normal court of law, confessions made in this kind of um, situation would not be considered you know, slam dunk evidence. It might be a thread that you will follow, but it's not evidence, right? Can you talk about how the Israeli courts view evidence when Palestinians implicate other Palestinians, whether in the military court system or in the regular Israeli court system, um, how, how these are viewed um, and, and, and how seriously they're taken. And, and by the way, is there any, is there any sense that, that this is something that might be recanted later by the people who confessed and would that make a difference? 
So uh, I want to I want to make a comment about the Halabi case in in the context of what you're asking now. Five years. Five years. Do you know what will happen if it will take five years for us to disprove the allegations in the case of the six uh, organizations? They will not exist anymore. In fact, I don't think they will exist in a year time if the, if the designations are not reversed. Definitely not in the form they exist today. This is not some charity from Gaza that is or is not affiliated to the Hamas and if designated and cannot get their funding through the international banking system, they will think, how will I get it maybe in suitcases, in cash from Qatar or wherever? No, these organizations know only how to do things over the table in the very legitimate banking, international banking system with all the audits that, that involves that. So, you know, Israel might lose in the Halabi case, but it succeeded. And that's what we should all be concerned about this case. Because it's one thing to win a case, and it's another thing to be successful in a campaign. And we might win this case, but fail, or not, yeah, fail, in, in the attempt to safeguard Palestinian civil society. Just to add, for folks who don't know the Halabi case, in this case, World Vision, the guy's still in jail, still hasn't had any sort of you know open trial or anything else. And... But in the meantime, World Vision has walked away from Palestine. <laughs> so it succeeded in, in getting World Vision to end its activities and end its funding in Gaza, which was the goal. Um, so. And also in Halabi case, there's a, probably a very unique person who would not accept plea bargains that are offered to him time and again, every time better and better. Not all people will you know, be so stubborn and be ready to stay in prison, not be with their families. And in the case of the, of the uh, two accountants and the other people that were arrested from uh, the uh, Health Workers Committee, the, the admissions that were, I don't know what were the Shabak techniques that were used against them, but we know that the Israeli Secret Service uses um, um, interrogation techniques that amount to torture. Not in every case, not in every interrogation, um, but even if it does not amount to torture, they have all kinds of techniques that, um, that breach the uh, autonomy of the, of, the, of the will. And people sometimes do things they don't really, they're not free uh, to, to, do, to, to, to decide not to do. And so in such cases, and, in the, and, and, and those people who were charged in the, in the context of the Health Workers Committee, uh, their trials have not began too. I mean, they've began, but, 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 but the evidence has not been heard yet. And from what I understand, they too are, going, are planning or are arguing that their confessions were extracted from them in an illegal uh, manner. And what happens then usually, and I don't, I'm not talking about this case because I'm not representing those people, I'm not involved in the case, and I don't know what's going on there. But I, can, I, but I do know the pattern. And the pattern is, that once um, the, interrog uh, the, 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 the defendant argues these cases, uh, these arguments about being tortured or, or being uh, subjected to uh, inhumane or, or, or um, um, illegal treatment, um, what comes next is offers of plea bargains. 
And I urge you all, if you're here in coming days and weeks, that a plea bargain was, uh, was reached in these cases where uh, people have admitted to be, uh, you know, to do things for the PFLP on behalf of this seventh organization, not about these six. Take it with a grain of salt. People will do a lot in order to get out of prison and be back with their families. So shifting gears here, we, we did a webinar last Friday um, with representatives of all six of the organizations. Um, for folks who haven't watched it, I, I would encourage you to do so. It was, it was really excellent. Um, it was an opportunity for these organizations to introduce themselves to the world. A lot of people didn't know about them, um, to talk about how they see this attack and what you have called an, 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 a, a declaration of war against uh, civil society. One of the critiques we got about that webinar is that at no point did I put each one of our guests on the spot and say, are you now or have you ever been a supporter of the PFLB? Um, something really along those lines. Um, I think because for some people, they just want to, them to say no when they can point to that. And some people want to say, ah, they, they hemmed and hawed and that proves they're guilty. Can, can you talk about why that, the framing of that question is wrong? And you already referred to the fact that, you know, all the strains of political activism in the West Bank are still illegal under Israeli law. And what is the, I mean, I mean, can you just answer that question for, for, for the people who have said to me, why didn't you ask it? I know why I didn't ask it. I know why I thought it was improper for me to ask it. Can you frame that from a legal perspective, why that is the wrong way to be talking about this? Well, first of all, it doesn't matter uh, in the context of the designations if a certain individual is a member or not a member, if he or she identifies herself as a, as, as a supporter or a member of whatever organization. That's not the test of whether the organization she works for is part of that other entity. So even if you would ask that question, and even if someone, one of the directors of, of one of the organizations would say, you know what, yes, I am a member, I was a member, I am supporting the PFLP, that doesn't justify um, designating uh, the organization. But the, but, the, but the main issue here is that Israel has constructed a, 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 like a, a spider web of orders, designations, proclamations, and laws that make any, almost any Palestinian political act an act of terrorism. And any political group in Palestine, any significant political faction has been designated, whether uh, either as a terrorist organization or an unlawful association or all kinds of illegal, of terms of illegality. And so a young Palestinian who wants to be politically active has absolutely no way to join any political party and, uh, and not um, violate Israeli law. Now, there's a big difference, of course, between being a member of a party or supporting a party, a political party that is maybe represented in the Palestinian parliament because of the agreements between Israel and the PLO, by the way, and being a member of a military wing that 
um, that is engaged in violence. That's these are two different things. Actually, can, can and, you actually spell that out for people who are listening when you talk about a member of the parliament? Can you really spell out a little more what you're saying? I'm saying that many the the, the Palestinian parliament who has not had elections for the last 15 years. Um, when they did have elections, uh, it um, the members of parliament were elected according to parties, to political parties. And all of these political parties are on the list of illegal associations or terrorist organizations in Israel. So, all, uh, so, so membership in any of them would amount to illegal uh, uh, um, act. What I wanted to say is that there is a difference between that and being involved with a military wing or a terrorist wing, whatever you want to call it. And the Israeli, and, and here I come to the definition of terrorist organization under the Israeli Counterterrorism Act of 2016, because it's important to understand that Israel conflates between political work and uh, violence and uh, military or, or, or terrorist activity purely. The Israeli uh, definition the Israeli law definition of a terrorist organization has two options. One option is, I think, something we will all agree about, that the terrorist organization is an entity that, that carries out acts of terror. Let's assume for the simplicity of the matter that we all agree what acts of terror are, okay? Something to do with violence against civilians. So an entity that 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 that. Uh, carries out acts of terror is a terror organization. That's one. The second option is the problematic one. And it says that any entity that provides service to or has links, ties to the first type is also a terrorist organization. Now, if the, 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 the notions of providing service to or having links, ties to is extremely blurry, and can, can be interpreted in a very, very wide way. And so the potential of this, this uh, um, the recursive nature of that uh, definition can potentially, and in fact does, swallow the entire Palestinian society. Because anyone is either providing service to or has links ties to someone who provides service to or has ties to eventually a terrorist organization. And, and so that is, that is how Israel has captured both political work. Because what is, for example, El Haq accused of in the designation? Not of providing funds to the PFLP, not providing services to the PFLP, but advancing, I'm, I'm quoting, advancing in the international uh, 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 in the international arena, the uh, goals of the PFLP. So if the goal of, one of the goals of the PFLP is, for example, boycott on settlement produce, and El Haq advances that, they advance the goal of the PFLP. And, and, and here I, I wanna end with the following. Words matter, concepts matter. If everyone is anti-Semite, then no one is. If everyone is a terrorist, then no one is. And it's a crime to widen these very, I'm secular, but very sacred uh, um, concepts in a way that makes them nothing.
Wow, that was very, um, very powerfully stated. Um, thank you. Um, so picking up on, on where this takes us, I want to talk about implications. And you, you've talked about this in other forums. I want, to, I want to get you on the record here. So when we talk about implications of these designations, you've said if these stand, these organizations won't exist probably in a year, right? And that's because of funding, first and foremost. The funding gets cut off. Um, you've talked about this will delay um, democracy and human rights for Palestinians for at least a generation, right? Um, can you talk more broadly about the consequences? I, I sort of, I, I've sort of framed it as, you know, the first order consequences are the consequences for Palestinians directly. Right. And then, you know, we, we've heard about efforts to target people like you, <laughs> Israelis who are defending them under, under the NGO law. It seems that you are yourself in some jeopardy. Can you look out further from, for Israel, for the international community, for, for the, for human rights defenders writ large and, and the, the model, this, this, the model this gives a kosher stamp to for, for, na for national behavior? So a designation, a, um, under the Israeli Counterterrorism Act, the designation of, a, of, a, of an entity, an organization, as a terrorist organization is the uh, corporate equivalent of capital punishment. It's, it's an execution. This entity is not allowed to exist anymore to operate. And in order to coerce uh, the um, uh, to coerce the denial of existence of that entity um, the law encircles the entity with a belt a very thick belt of administrative powers that are vested with the Israeli uh, public authorities and with prohibitions, the violations of which are criminal, that apply to all. And so the administrative powers allow um, the government to, you know, to expropriate all, it, all the property that belongs to the organization, to block transfers, etc., to close their offices, the criminal uh, offenses that are associated with uh, um, a terrorist organization relates both to those who uh, are members of the organization or serve the organization in official uh, positions, but also to those who are third parties who have not who are not members but have some kind of some kind of links. Uh, and relationship with the organization, and they have to severe all ties. So, for example, when I posted on on Facebook and tweeted on Twitter, um, what I think about El Haq, that it's a marvelous organization that has done super important work, um, and uh, even a picture of myself in their offices, uh, standing on a podium with the emblem of El Haq several years ago, um, that, and I wrote that this statement in and of itself may amount to the crime of supporting a terrorist organization. And um, how do you say it? Lo and behold, a right-wing organization has already managed to file a, um, a complaint against me and my colleagues uh, directors of Israeli human rights organizations that um, uh, that uh, made a uh, a um, solidarity 
visit 12 hack offices, meeting all the six uh, uh, delegation of the six organizations, um, charging us with this exact crime of supporting a terrorist organization. There are so many things that are now, you know, this, this, this designation is not only um, a challenge to the Palestinian society, it's, it's in, in many ways even more a challenge to the Israeli peace camp, the Israeli human rights community, what, where, you know, the government has sketched a line. On one side, there are these human rights organizations, our colleagues, our friends, where will, be, where will we stand? Will we cross the line and stand with them? On the other side of the law, will we do that? Open question. But any ties with them, any, any work together with them, you know, briefings on human rights issues to diplomats, to journalists, um, sharing data on human rights abuses. All these things are now criminal offense, maybe, it may amount to criminal offenses, depending how you interpret this, and depending on the policy of investigations that the Israeli Ministry of Justice will apply. So there's a question, not only whether these organizations will continue to operate in a year's time, but also how will the map of human rights uh, um, activism in Israel-Palestine would look like? And will we, Israeli human rights groups and peace groups, will join forces with them? That's a big, big question. And of course, there's a question, the same type of question about uh, the international civil society and the international community. The, the Europeans are heavily invested in these organizations. They have been cultivating them. They have been funding them because they think that a viable uh, future, viable just future for the Middle East depends on having a democratic society with vibrant civil society. And what Israel has done now is to cut off this tree that they have been cultivated for, or trying to cut off this tree that they have been cultivating for years. Will Europe once again be um, be scared by Israel, be too scared to do what they think, and I know they think the right thing would be to stand up to Israel, and they have the power to do so, because if tomorrow the Irish government or the Swedish government de uh, declares that it will send uh, another batch of, uh, uh, of, uh, um, of donation to one of these organizations because they have a project that was signed two years ago, and because there are reports on, let's say, I'm just uh, on, on, on LGBTQ uh, rights in the Palestinian Authority that has to be printed out because it's already written. Let's see if the Israeli government will block that, that uh, uh, deposit. Because if it does, that's a diplomatic crisis. And such if, 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 the, if the European government decide that they are not accepting the Israeli move that, as I said before, was done in order to circumvent their dismissal of the Israeli dossier, of the Israeli uh, 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 charges. They can win this. They can compel the Israeli government to reverse uh, its very poor decision. 
So it's also a test to the international community. And of course, international civil society that I think, you know, if I was one of the Palestinian organizations, I would be, while extremely concerned about what's going on, what will be the future, my salary, my family, my freedom, but I would be very heartwarmed. You say heartwarmed? I will be very happy to see the reactions from the international civil society, which I think does show solidarity. And that's very, very important. Yeah, the, the outpouring of solidarity, including from groups that are not Israel-Palestine focused, the recognition of what this tactic is and the threat it poses, I think has been, been encouraging. Um, I would add just for me watching this and watching NGO Monitor, Ministry of Strategic Affairs mm -hmm. all these years, um, I mean, I, I tend to think that, you know, regardless of what the Israeli NGO sector does going forward, um, for everyone who's worked with these groups in the past, if these, if these designations stand, the effort will be to stain everyone with association with the terrorist organization for past work together and to discredit every bit of information that's ever come out, Al-Haq, which produces you know, the best quality human rights information. It is celebrated worldwide because the quality of its work is so good. This is now going to be a basis for saying, don't read any of these reports. Anyone who's relied on them is wrong to challenge people who've looked at you know, DCI Palestine. It, it's a way to say, none of the facts matter. All that matters is terrorism. And if you talk about facts, you're supporting terrorism, uh, which is a really quite, quite terrifying framing. Um, the last question I want to ask you, and then I will let you go because I know you're incredibly busy. Um, I think a lot of us are not entirely clear on this question of what happens now. Um, you said you're representing Al-Haq. I know uh, other groups have found other people to represent them. What is, what is available to these groups in terms of challenging, contesting these designations? And maybe just as important as what is available, even more important, what is the, the, the prospect, given your experience as a lawyer in the Israeli system, what is the prospect for Palestinian organizations getting any kind of justice? And we talked about Mohammed Halabi, justice in a time frame where it can still be justice. Justice delayed is justice denied. Um, what is the prospect for them receiving that kind of fair hearing and justice um, in the Israeli court system? Well, um... The procedure that is laid down in the Israeli um, legislation provides, um, provides the following process. Um, if the organizations choose to, um, to follow it, um, the, a designated entity has a right to file an objection um, to the designation with the Ministry of Defense within 60 days of the designation of the uh, of the day the designation was signed. If they do so, then a panel of three, uh, a committee of three members convenes. The three members are a retired district court judge, retired um, lawyer from the Attorney General's office, and a retired Shabak um, Secret Service officer. And this uh, neutral and unbiased um, um, committee uh, will hear the arguments um, that the designated entity will raise. Sorry, just for people um, who are listening to this as a podcast and not watching the video, um, Michael's um, facial expression <laughs> when he used the term neutral and unbiased suggested that he was not entirely um, serious with those 
terms, if I can say that. Let's put it that way. The advisory committee that is vested with the power to advise the Minister of Defense on this matter has no representatives from civil society, has no representatives from human rights organizations, has no representatives from the, you know, from the academia. It has only representatives that are former officials in the executive and a judge, right? Um, and so um, if, if an objection is filed, because one has to understand the, the designation when it is first signed is considered to be a temporary designation. And now there is a process to make a decision whether to turn it into a permanent designation. And so if the, the designated entity decides not to file an objection, then almost automatically it becomes within 60 days a, a, a permanent designation. But if it does file an objection, then there is a process in which the Secret Service must respond to the objection. Um, parts of the response would be passed on to the designated entity, but most of, of it, including all the evidence, would remain usually um, uh, in secrecy and ex parte would only be seen by the panel, not by the committee, not by the designated organization. And then at the end of that process, um, the advisory committee will make, an, will make a recommendation. And then the Minister of Defense will, have, uh, will make uh, his final decision on whether to lift the temporary designation or to make it permanent. If, it makes it, if he makes it permanent, then that decision can be judicially reviewed in a petition to the Israeli High Court of Justice. Now, historically, decisions made by the Israeli uh, security uh, apparatus have been uh, the most um, immune from uh, judicial intervention. Israeli courts, Israeli judges, um, Israeli administrative boards are uh, known to accept almost, I, I don't want to say as a rubber stamp, because they're not a rubber stamp in the sense that they do have independence, and most of these institutions are uh, professional. Uh, but there is a, a culture of sanctifying the position of the, uh, in Israel, of the security establishment. And so I don't know of any case where a designated entity, and before the 2016 Act, we had uh, the um, um, British mandatory emergency regulations, uh, which allowed designation uh, of, uh, of entities as unlawful associations. And I don't, I don't know of any case where um, the Israeli Supreme Court, the Israeli High Court of Justice, intervened in such a decision. So the chances are, um, when you look at the record, it doesn't look good. However, it's not a regular case. It's not a regular case, uh, not that there is any regular case, but this is different in any uh, possible way. And also, you know, these uh, institutions, courts, and, 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 and are very, are, do hear what's going on out of the courtroom. And the more there is outcry that this is uh, a, an outrageous act, I think there's more chance that they will look into it more carefully. Now, I want to make clear, none of the uh, six organizations has decided to go on this process. They might decide 
that they do not want to do it for many reasons, not only because of their chances, but also because they don't believe in the process and I cannot blame them for that. I'm just saying, explaining what kind of uh, legal uh, roots they have. Um, and of course, the question of whether there will be a significant political diplomatic pressure on Israel also will come into play here uh, very much. So while the record is bleak, this is not a regular case. Thank you. So that's actually a somewhat hopeful, small, tiny bit of hopeful note to end on. So I think we'll end there. Um, thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your time and your analysis today. I know you're incredibly busy. I hope we'll be hearing and seeing you more. You're a very powerful voice and we are grateful that you exist um, and are working on this. I want to thank our tuner, our, our listeners and our watchers for tuning in. Make sure you check out the FMEP website, www.fmep.org for a whole array of work that we're doing around this issue. And you should be, of course, subscribed by now to our podcast on Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes so you don't miss any of these great podcasts. Uh, and with that, I'm Laura Friedman uh, signing off for now. Take care, everyone, and thanks very much until the next episode. Bye.